When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So whenever the 13th day of the month falls on a Friday, we are compelled to return to Crystal Lake to talk about one of our favorite 80s flick slashers. This time we get to the sequel that ultimately changed the direction of its franchise from a cash grab wannabe to a bona fide horror icon it has become. So grab some 3D glasses, even though I watched it in 2D, as Laramie Wells and I discuss Friday the 13th Part 3 from 1982 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Perfect, I'm going to leave that in. (laughs) Weekends are a good time to escape to the woods. Unless the weekend begins with Friday the 13th. Because 13 is an unlucky number. But out here, so are 1 through 12. Because these are Jason's woods. And nobody leaves them alive. Friday the 13th, part 3. In 3D. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and welcome to the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Here we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser-known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now-defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And go ahead and check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com, for more great 80s content. Now, let's jump right into this episode. Thanks for listening. All right, well, welcome in, everybody. So glad to have you on this episode. Hey, it's Friday the 13th, so you know we have to talk about another Friday the 13th. I mean, we have, what, seven of them, eight of them? No. No, because there's Jason X. That's Yeah, 10. there's 10. But did they all fall within the 80s? No. No, no. Yeah. They went into the 90s. So I think we have seven. I think there's only seven in the 80s, but we'll get there. We have a few more years. But uh, 
Glad to have everybody here on this episode. Be sure to follow us on the social medias, on TikTok. Laramie's wearing his 3D glasses. <laughs> I know you can't see it, but it's perfect. And and Laramie actually owns a 3D copy of this movie as well. So, But he did not watch it in 3D this time. I did not, because I yeah. wanted to be able to see it. <laughs> <laughs> The 2D copy is not even that clear. Even the HD that I have is still pretty fuzzy, and 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 there's a lot of gunk on the camera in the transfer that that we that I watched. So that's brain. That's the gunk on the, it's it's yeah. brain, brain and eyeballs. Sure, we'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> but glad to have Laramie Wells from the Moving Panels podcast. Always a great co-host, especially on these horror episodes, and. Uh, ready to jump into this one i'm very excited to talk about a friday the 13th movie that takes place on saturday the 14th because <laughs> yeah, it takes place exactly like, right after uh part two as this one part opens yeah. with the ending of part two because that's the other thing i love is an hour and a half movie in which the first 10 minutes <laughs> is just the end of the first the right. movie before right. it. right so you temp- honestly have like a uh, so you honestly have an hour and 20 minute movie and it still feels long in parts. <laughs> yeah. All right. So uh, let's jump right in. When did you see Friday the 13th part three for the first time? It was television. I mean, yeah, we're going to go ahead and make that clear. I mean, obviously I didn't see it in theaters. It no. came out in 82. Yeah, I didn't either. And I was, yeah, I was born in 81. So yeah, not, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah, didn't see it in theaters. Uh, clearly I saw it on television. Um, I couldn't tell you exactly when again. These movies, as always, you know, they were on rotation Mm -hmm. uh, growing up, you know, before cable TV really had its own programming. Uh, I even remember, you know, talking about Friday the 13th. I don't remember if it was TCM or AMC used to do these movies as a marathon on any Friday the 13th. I wouldn't be surprised if AMC because AMC, I think, has them now. Or they will have, they'll, uh, I don't know, they kind of flip-flop between Friday the 13th and Halloween movies around, you know, the month of October. Uh, yeah. But, of course, now with knowing that it's a Paramount pic- Paramount picture, I'm sure Paramount Plus is probably going to run them, uh, or the streaming service and the Paramount Network is probably going to run it more so than AMC. But, yeah, it's possible. They could. I've got my box set, though, so I don't care. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think I talked about it on one of the other... The I think we talked about in the last episode, or the uh, when we talked about Friday Thirteenth Part Two, that uh, I think Voodoo runs a deal like whenever it's Friday the Thirteenth, they'll sell the whole set digital for thirteen dollars. So I was like, "That's not bad. You can't beat it." So, good deal. So I just yeah. went ahead and got it. I was like, "I haven't seen all of them. I'm going to cover most of them on the podcast. So thirteen bucks is a pretty decent investment, uh, even though now I'm more into the physical copies of everything, but." It's still easy to get to if I want to watch it on my phone or if I want to watch it on my iPad, then I can do it pretty yeah. easily that way. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a physical media person too, but but yeah, there's some of these like I, I have the box set mm-hmm. uh, all DVD. I haven't upgraded it to Blu-ray, mm-hmm. but yeah, there's still something very convenient about being able to have it just to pull up whenever, wherever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So ex- especially with the fact that. Uh, <laughs> You know, a lot of laptops now don't even have a drive on them. Right, so, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, so if you're wanting to watch it from, like, a laptop, you pretty much have to do it digitally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I don't know when I saw this one for the first time. I, we've had this discussion before. Like, I know I haven't seen all of them. I remember watching one of them as a kid, like at a sleepover with some friends. And I'm pretty sure now that I always thought it was the third one, but I'm pretty sure now it's the second one. Of course, now after watching the third one, I'll probably watch the fourth one here at some point, and then I'll be like, "No, it was the fourth one." But um, the th- well, yeah, the th- they all run together. Yeah. You and I actually talked. I said, "I said I'm gonna have to rewatch it just so I can remember which moments <laughs> happen in yeah. this movie." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because before I started today, I was kind of like thinking, "Okay, which you know what what happens in this one?" And I kept thinking of scenes from the second one more than I was thinking of the scenes of this one. And then once it started, I was like, "Oh yeah, this is the one with the barn and the hay and the biker gang." Mm-hmm. So it was all starting to come back once we got past the uh, recap of the end of part two. Um, but uh, how long had it been since you watched it before watching it for the podcast? Um, it was. It's probably. It's been within the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Because I made Bethany watch through all of them. <laughs> uh, Which I'm sure she uh, loved. Yeah, yeah. But uh, so I, can, I can't pinpoint exactly, but it's been within the last 10 years that okay. I've watched it. Yeah. And you watched them all together back to back or like took, yeah. took a break? I mean, not, not, one, not one right, sitting, right, but, but you, yeah. Like over a week. Like or, over the course of several days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we sat and watched all of them. So, uh which is actually really easy to do with this box set because it's two movies per disc. Okay. So yeah. you can kind of knock out two movies without having to <laughs> having to get up. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, if they're all around an hour 30, hour 40, I mean, you can run through them pretty quick anyway. So All right, so let's talk a little bit about its uh, story origin and pre-production as we do. So, of course, it's a sequel. So we knew when they did the second one that a third one was coming. Uh, so, but the original storyline was supposed to focus on a post-traumatic Jenny Field, who was played by Amy Steele in the second film, who began learning self-defense and returned to college after surviving her ordeal in the previous film. After finding Paul's corpse inside her dormitory, she prepares to track down Voorhees and face him in a final confrontation. Of course, there's, an, huh. there's another draft... <laughs> okay, I was about to say because that's not the one I've. Yeah, I know yeah. I've there's heard there's before. several. Like I I had to like decide which ones I'm actually going to talk about because they're uh, like deleted scenes and other versions. So uh, another draft was Ginny being sent to a psychiatric hospital and confined there, suffering from the events of Part Two. She ev- that's the one. she eventually finds out that Jason Voorhees survived from his wound and tracks her down in the hospital, murdering the staff and other patients at the hospital, which sounds a lot like Halloween Two. Yeah. So uh, at the time, Steele turned down the role due to her involvement in other projects, resulting in significant script changes. Steele recalled, they really wanted me for part three. They didn't have a script, though, but they were just going to show me some sort of outline. Then my agents got involved. and I don't know if it was a money issue or a script issue, but I just didn't do it. And I think she said later that if she had known, if she had been more involved, she would have taken it, she would have taken it without letting her agents get involved, which I'm sure it probably came down to money, which it, if you do with agents, it's always going to come down to money. Yeah. Yeah. I had heard that she kind of regretted the decision mm-hmm. later. Uh, I mean, but who wouldn't when you find out <laughs> you could have been part of a major franchise, right. so. which was the same story of the, the, the final girl from the first movie that she didn't want to be a, be a, uh, a main character in the second which is why they killed her off early in part two and then she yeah. regretted it as well so but yeah, she also because yeah. i mean 
it's not like it worked for Jamie Lee Curtis. So. Right. What a waste. I mean, what a waste of talent. Who remembers that? Who remembers yeah. her? Who is she again? She what? She was in one of those movies. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so screenwriter Ron Kurtz, who had written part two, was offered to draft a screenplay, but he turned down the project as well. Husband and wife screenwriting duo Martin Katroser and Carol Watson instead were hired to write the screenplay, completing the first draft. Paramount subsequently brought in Petro Popsko to alter the screenplay and make it more sinister and menacing. Though the final film version of the script contained significant contributions from him, he remained uncredited. Uh, you mean they didn't just take the script from the first movie and just... <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very similar. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of similarities. A lot of similarities. Yeah, we'll probably get to that as you talked about scenes. So. so the script for part three also called for Jason to wear a mask to cover his face, having worn a bag over his head in part two, which was uh, kind of creepy, but not the same menacing look they were looking for. Uh, of course, this mask would become a trademark for the character and one instantly recognizable in pop culture for years to come. The decision to dress him in the now signature hockey mask occurred during yeah. a lighting check on the set. The film's 3D effects supervisor, Martin Sadoff, was a hockey fan and supplied a Detroit Red Wings goaltender mask to Miner, the director. Miner loved the mask, but during test shots found it was too small. Using a technique called vacuform, makeup effects director Doug White enlarged the mask and created a new mold to work with. After White finished the molds, art director Terry Ballard placed new red triangles on the mask to give it a unique appearance. Holes were also punched into the mask, and the markings were altered, making it different from Sadoff's original template. There were two prosthetic face masks created for Richard Brooker to wear underneath the hockey mask. One mask was comprised of approximately 11 different appliances and took about six hours to apply to Brooker's face. This mask was used for scenes where the hockey mask was removed, in the scenes where the hockey mask is over the face, a simple head mask was created. This one-piece mask would simply slip over Brooks' head, exposing his face, but not the rest of his head. Which you can tell in certain shots, it's, you know, it's kind of formed together. It's not like a mask sitting on top of the face. Uh, so, yeah, but it's pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, he's a pretty big guy, so he had to have, definitely had, a bigger, had to have a bigger mask to work for his size of his face, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean that's I mean it's just so iconic. And it, but but it's funny to, to talk about that cuz you know, uh you mentioned Steve Miner, I don't know if this was in your notes, but you know mm-hmm. Steve Miner is the only person to direct two of these movies. Right, right. Yeah, I didn't have that in my notes, so yeah. And of course, they have yet to have the same person play Jason. <laughs> this is true. And in fact, that wouldn't happen until 6. Okay. Uh cuz part 6, part 7 and part Eight, are all the same. All were all three Kane Hodder, and he's okay. the only one yeah. to play Jason multiple times. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, they're all different sizes, which is what's just so <laughs> so funny about watching these movies. Mm-hmm. Is that Jason just get, he gets bigger, he gets smaller, he gets taller, Thinner. shorter. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, that mask is so iconic. Love it. And now these messages. Coming soon to a cell phone near you. A show for all the manly men out there. Where guys talk about their favorite movies and what they can teach us about being a man. 
featuring the coolest guests. Murder somebody is not like killing an ant. The most gratifying laughs. It's Tombstone, what can I say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a fresh take on movies like you've never heard before. This will be the thing that gets written on his proverbial tombstone. We aren't here to criticize the movies you love, but to praise them for how they apply to our lives as husbands, fathers, and really all men in general. So buckle your seatbelts, because Manly Movies is coming your way on March 31st. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or your other favorite podcast catcher. And remember, man up. Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Also for this one, they moved production from Connecticut to California where they could be closer to the Hollywood experts needed for a film that was attempting to revitalize 3D. They told East Coast-based Steve Daskowitz if he wanted to play Jason as he did for most of Part 2, he'd have to pay for his own airfare out to California. He objected, so the part was recast. That's ridiculous. Yeah. Hey, you're the you know the main main focus of our movie, right? But right, yeah, you're gonna have to get yourself to California, which the move to California was a horrible decision. Yes, as well. Yes, I agree. I'm sure you'll talk about the set. Yes, I'll talk a little um, bit. Yeah, not coming up very shortly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the house, barn, and lake featured in the film were all custom built. The house remained on the ranch lot until it burnt down in 2012. Additional photography for the film's grocery store scenes took place at a small market in Green Valley, California. Uh, Back to the house, barn, and lake. The man-made lake wasn't properly sealed, and subsequently the water drained the soil during the first week of filming. Yeah, it was also just stagnant water. Yeah, which you could tell in those scenes. Like, the water is not moving It's not moving. It's not, yeah. It it definitely is. Now, the... The house is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I hate that it burned down. One thing I read or watched actually mm-hmm. was that it was a um, it was a fan mm-hmm. or something that tried had to, done something tried, stupid. Tried to light the fireplace and set the whole place on fire. Yeah. The the house is gorgeous. The I mean the barn's just a barn. Yeah. It's it's not much. That was great. But man, that lake doesn't even <laughs> look like a lake. It looks like a swamp. Yeah. Well, it looks like it, it, instead of it looking like a camp, which the first two definitely have more of a real camp feel to it, because they were on a real camp, this one just like yeah. it was a studio, like it was a back lot of the studios. Yeah, yeah. It, it reminded me a lot of Swamp Thing, yeah. the Swamp Thing television <laughs> yeah. show. Yeah, so you could tell it was a lot of, you could tell it was a man-made lake, man-made beach, uh, you know, especially that scene, which we'll get to uh, when we first see him in the hockey mask. It's like that totally looks like a studio. Yeah. Uh, back lot, possibly even yeah. indoors. Uh, well, that was shot. even at the end when uh, when she's trying to get away, she gets into the canoe, and oh, it's yeah, like yeah. the canoe is the exact width <laughs> of the lake. Right. Like there's right. like when she starts to paddle away, I'm like, where are you right. going? Like there's nowhere for you to you go. You can hear the director in the background: paddle slow, don't run into the wall. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
So let's talk about 3D because this is a big. This was a big part of the movie. Why you know how it was marketed, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> how many things can we point at the camera? The question is, why did they decide to do it in 3D? Well, they needed an advertising gimmick now that audiences caught, had caught on to their storytelling formula. And two months after the release of Part 2, a 3D comedy western from Spain called Coming At Ya made a stunning for the time $12 million, mostly due to the novelty of its use of 3D. And we know Hollywood, they can't turn down a great or a not-so-great idea if it makes money. Uh... Since Friday the 13th was built around stabbing instruments protruding outward at the screen, a 3D version seemed a natural fit. So Friday the 13th Part 3 became the first Paramount film to, in 3D since 1956. And then they would follow it with such greats as the 1983 Jaws 3D. Yes. Because yeah, everybody loves Jaws 3D. <laughs> I would rank it, yeah, pretty much the same place I ranked this one. A, a a terribly good movie or a good yeah. terrible movie and then there was an amityville 3d although i don't yeah, think oh, I, I remember that I one don't think i've ever seen it but i know that around the same time there was an yeah amityville that's right 3D. i forgot about amityville 3 like if you're gonna have a three sequel just put it in 3d i mean just yeah why not oh man i forgot about amityville 3d I think I, I think I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of people yeah, forgot about. I it think we saw 3D. that one. It didn't see it in three. I do remember seeing a 3D movie as a kid, and it was some kind of B movie, probably. Uh, but probably around the, it was probably around the same time. It wasn't Jaws 3D, and something like Space Hunter or something similar to that. It was like a sci-fi movie. Um, but I was little, and I was. I mean, there was. There was Captain EO. No, it wasn't Captain EO. It was, you know, I mean, it was, it was like, okay. an, it was actually at the actual movie theaters. Captain EO was just at Disneyland. Oh, okay. I did see yeah. that, by the way. I did see Captain EO at Disneyland. It was pretty cool. Um, but I was really little, and I remember going in with my sister and one of her friends. My mom had dropped us off at the movie theater. But we got there, and the movie had already started. And I was already kind of freaked out by having to wear glasses anyway. And so the 3D just totally... Walking into a dark theater and it being in 3D freaked me out. And so, like, I cried and cried and cried, and my mom had to come back and pick me up. Like, my sister had to go out and <laughs> call my mom, you know, before cell phones. Had to find a pay phone was, and wave my mom down. Was it Was it animated? No, it wasn't. Are you trying to pull it up? Yeah, I'm looking through lists of 3D yeah. movies from the 80s. and I, I'm not... I'm not seeing. Unless, I'm not seeing a lot of choices yeah, here. Unless it was a dream, which you know, sometimes my memories <laughs> turn out to be dreams I had as a kid that I just thought was reality. I may, I may be, I may be blending it together with another movie that I saw in the theater, uh, and it wasn't Buckaroo Banzai. It wasn't Kroll, but it was kind of like Kroll, if I remember correctly. But anyway, not yeah. that important. Just my little 3D <laughs> story. So, but because of the newness of the 3D camera lenses, the shooting process was extensive with the crew sometimes taking hours to set up a shot and the cast performing multiple takes of scenes in order for the cinematographer to properly capture the 3D effects. Actor Larry Zerner recalled that perfecting the 3D effects often superseded the actor's performances. He said it quickly became clear that most of the time the performances were didn't matter. Actress Tracy Savage echoed the sentiment, stating it didn't matter how the lines were delivered. And you can kind of see that in, in most of the movie, that the acting is not the greatest. Yeah, and even though it's not a 3D moment, the 
the the shell he's dead yeah oh, oh yeah. he's dead and she's running up the spiral <laughs> stairs oh my god this superb acting uh, yeah yeah superb but and but even uh tracy savage like uh with the yo-yo um, yes yeah because she, she he hits her with the yo-yo mm-hmm. and then she says well be careful that was close no, you just got hit in the nose. We saw it make contact. Yeah. Right. It popped you in the nose. It even wobbled when it hit you. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I, I saw too where they had to do multiple takes uh, because they had whatever item they had, it had to get as close to center mm-hmm. of the screen as possible because of the way the, the, the 3D worked, um, which yeah. is again why yeah. I did not watch it. Um, 3d yeah because oh that messes with your eyes and then of course you're watching the entire movie in this you know blue red tent yeah oh yeah 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 so that's even like watching like i've seen i don't see too many movies in 3d these days but when i have a few times like it bothers me because that the 3d technology now it's kind of shaded so everything seems dark yeah, and it's like so I'll, I'll sometimes I'll take the I had to take them off if I know it's not like a specific 3D scene like I know it's going to be blurry but I just need some brightness in my yeah. eyes because you're already in a dark theater but but yeah but the some of those scenes like you're talking about it having to be specific one of the scenes that uh, Larry was talking about I, I didn't put in the notes because there was a little bit of profanity <laughs> in his quotes but he was saying like the scene where he has to throw the wallet with the gangs yeah. he throws the wallet at the camera and he's like they did that like 11 times. And the director was like, just, just hit the camera with the wallet. But it's like, <laughs> well, and one, one of the very first ones we see with the guy at the, the store, mm-hmm. um, when he picks up the pole, what, is, I don't even remember what he's doing with it. Like, what was the reason why he picks up the pole? The pole for the, for the, uh, you're talking about the, uh, the clothesline, the, the clothesline. Yeah. 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 I, I don't, yeah. I was like, is that like an extra, like one of the poles fell down and he had to put the yeah, pole back up to hold up the clothesline? Yeah. But if you did you notice or did you see in your research if you watch very closely he looks at the camera yeah <laughs> very quickly to make sure he's getting that shot right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I I didn't I I saw that in a video and then so as I was rewatching it I looked for that moment <laughs> uh, and I thought that was cool uh, what was there was something else I was gonna mention um, about the the 3D but. Uh, now, of course, I can't remember it well, at all. Yeah, we'll, we'll get uh, it. We'll, well, we may talk more about them in, in scene as we get to scenes. Yeah, because uh, I was going to ask about you know what are what were your favorite and least favorite 3D scenes. So hold that. We'll get to that in a few minutes. Let's okay. uh, let's dive a little bit into casting since we're kind of talking about the uh, the actors pro the actors right. process because it's a who's who of oh yeah of I mean eighties eighties young actors right. We have so many that have such a long uh, historyed career. Uh, about to go over, as we say. I'm very cheek. curious to find out how many of them ended their acting career after this movie. <laughs> yeah, a few of them. I know of at least one. Right, right. There's so. a few. So, uh, screenwriter Popescu said casting was based on looks rather than talent and recalled that his vision <laughs> of the characters was a significant odds with the cast chosen by director Steve Miner. So, uh, at the top of the list, we have Dana Kimmel as Chris Higgins. Dana Kimmel was cast in lead role after Minor had become aware of her involvement in Sweet 16, another slasher film she had appeared in. Uh, Kimmel is also known for playing Chuck Norris's daughter in Lone Wolf McQuaid a year later in 83. 
and for a recurring role in the TV soap opera Days of Our Lives. Uh, fun yeah. fact, she was originally cast as Allison in Chopping Mall in 86. Yeah, however, Chopping she, Mall. <laughs> however, she left the project because she didn't want to swear and wasn't fond of the sexual content throughout the movie, so Kelly Maroney was cast instead. So, yeah. Okay. First one down. That's all. They're, they're all <laughs> going to be short like this. So Yeah. Uh, then we got Paul Kratka as Rick, uh, and there really wasn't much... <laughs> About any of it. he didn't do anything really after this uh, much, but he does have a quote that I thought was pretty cool. He said, "A couple of months before we started filming, I went to the uh, special effects lab in North Hollywood, and it was really an interesting experience. They made an upper body cast from my chest up and put all this plaster, and then they went up over the back of my head, the side of my head, and at the last bit, they covered my face, and all." And all they had were these two straws for me to breathe. And then they waited for it to dry and then pulled the straws out. They created this whole upper body mold and then created a reverse mold. Then about three o'clock in the morning as we're filming, they wheeled this upper body replica of me. And it was just amazing to see, but it was very eerie, (laughs) (laughs) which I'm sure. Yeah. I'm not claustrophobic, but I've seen them do the casting like that. I think that would make me claustrophobic. Yeah, I would. Yeah. I would not be comfortable at all. Uh, yeah, I had to do not over my face, but I had a, I had a cast for a surgery when I was little. That was like most of my upper body. And that was not fun because it just kept wrapping me and wrapping me and wrapping me and wrapping me. It's like, when are you going to stop? Anyway, <laughs> lots of memories today. All right. So then we move to Tracy Savage, as we mentioned earlier, who played Debbie. Uh, I thought it was interesting. She auditioned for the role of Laura Ingalls in the series Little House on the Prairie and was one of the finalists before Melissa Gilbert was cast in the part. However, she impressed Michael Landon so much in her audition that he cast her as Laura and Mary Ingalls' best friend, Christy Kennedy, in the first season of the show. Uh, Larry and I were talking about before the episode started. Uh, She went on to be a TV reporter and has covered such high-profile news stories as the O.J. Simpson trial, the 1996 Summer Olympics in Atlanta, as well as the Oklahoma City bombings in 1995. So, and Laramie showed a clip where she actually testified in part of the O.J. trial as well, right? Yeah, not not 100% sure what she testified on. (laughs) It was just a a quick little shot that I found. Um, Apparently, she was asked to reveal her source, and she refused, Mm -hmm. and actually faced jail time for that. Yeah. Uh, So... Uh, very, very interesting that she went on to do uh, other stuff, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, especially considering she's the one that gets topless in this movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, so she is now a full-time college professor teaching journalism and film production. Whenever she introduces herself to a new class and goes over her professional background, she includes a picture from Friday the 13th Part 3 of Debbie's death scene in her PowerPoint presentation she says this always gets a great reaction from her students. I'm sure it does. Yeah. So the the death scene that is just an exact duplicate of a death from the first first movie. one. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we got Jeffrey Rogers as Andy. Uh, the only tidbit I have is that Andy had to learn to walk on his hands in order to get the role. Well, so that was re- like he didn't. That wasn't something that he could do, and they decided to fit it into the movie. It was no. something oh, he had to goodness. learn. He had to, like that was part of his audition was to be able to walk on his hands. So he learned how to do that before he auditioned. Okay, it just seems like 
like now I now I question uh, he and uh, um, Shelly juggling. Like, did they have to learn how to juggle? <laughs> I don't know. But that but once again, that's like that was a choice that was in the script. Like that was written in pre production. Like that was yeah, part of the script. Yeah. yeah. Like that wasn't something they said on the day of. So like, you're just it'll be, hoping it'll be f- to find an actor that can do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's funny is like we'll get to uh, uh, Brooker who played War, uh, Jason, but like he was an acrobat, so I'm sure he could do it. So he's probably giving him some pointers uh, in between scenes, probably. Helping I would him. love to see Jason doing a handstand. <laughs> love it. But the behind the scenes footage we're all wanting. So uh, then we've got Catherine Parks as Vera Sanchez. She was the fourth runner up in the 1978 Miss America pageant. But she mainly worked in TV with guest spots on shows such as Three's Company, Hunter, and Quantum Leap. Ah, oh, love Quantum Leap. I do, yeah. Had to put that one in there. Then we've got Larry Zerner, mentioned earlier, as Shelley. He was discovered for his role at a most unlikely place. He was working at a Westwood, California movie theater, and he was tearing admission tickets for The Road Warrior and was spotted by two of the film's producers. Why, do, why doesn't that happen to me? Right, exactly. Like, yeah. You read all these stories <laughs> yeah. about people that, you know, got to see him on the, on the side of the street. like Yeah, just walking down the street. Hey, I want you for my, my Hollywood movie. So after filming this movie, he went on to become a successful lawyer in California. And he also appeared, appeared as a final contestant on ABC's Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? But he did not make it to the final round. Ah, uh, poor Shelley. He did win a different uh, game show, but it wasn't one that I recognized. So I did not put it in my notes, but. Obviously a very smart guy. There is a funny line that I can't, we can't repeat that. It did make me laugh the second time. Uh, when is there, when they're, uh, going to meet his date at the beginning. And yeah. he says, why do you have to be such a expletive? Yeah. He said, because I'm an actor or like, I'm not a expletive on actor. Yeah. I just, yeah. It's, and he's same thing. Yeah. It's like the same thing. Yeah. That, that made me laugh. Yeah. Uh, even though, Larry and I are both actors, and hopefully we don't see ourselves that way. Or others. I resemble that remark. People don't think we are that way. Uh, all right, so uh, I didn't cover all the characters. I think I pretty much covered them all, except for the one with the most important, Richard Booker as Jason Voorhees. So originally from the UK, he was an avid polo player and sailor. He performed as a trapeze artist and stage manager in a circus throughout the world, and trained and performed with horses. Later, he trained horses again for... <laughs> all, all things needed to play yeah, Jason exactly. Voorhees. Uh, later, he trained horses again for stunts and stunt coordination, and worked in all areas of television and film production. He was discovered by a casting magazine called Dramalogue for the role of Jason Voorhees. Uh, he was six foot three inches tall, but not that bulky, the slim and toned Brooker wore foam padding under his clothes and did all of his own stunts. Cause that was the one thing, especially at the end in that, in that scene in the barn, he just looks like massive, like a huge body presence more so in yeah. that scene than the other ones, I guess. And that's one of the things we are talking about. Every Jason seems to be a different size and shape in the different yeah. movies. And, uh, this one, he's definitely bigger. It's interesting to me to know that he's really kind of thin, but they put all that stuff on him as extra padding. Yeah, he. I mean, he had a good build for Jason. Mm-hmm. Of course, I didn't know about the padding, so yeah. I guess that kind of added to it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I I can't help but say though, Kane, Kane Hodder is my Jason. Yeah, yeah. Like the he he wasn't as tall. Mm-hmm. Kane Hodder. Uh, he was actually kind of short, 
for Jason, but just his build. He was just a much mm-hmm. thicker guy, mm-hmm. um, which just made Jason all that more uh, scary, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in this movie, he he does. I mean, he just looks like a regular guy <laughs> uh, in terms of, in terms of build. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get you what know, you're saying. In terms of his build, obviously his face. No, he does not. But uh, but yeah, no, he was a he was a good Jason. Yeah. I, I have no qualms. Yeah, but talking about people that didn't you know stay in the business. Uh, at the end of the eighties, he quit his acting career and became a technical and production manager, and also an independent producer, mainly for polo championships, horse shows, Fox Sports, and many others. My favorite fact: he also directed forty two episodes of the nineteen ninety three TV series. Bill Nye the Science Guy. Huh. Look at that. <laughs> Bill Nye the yep. Science Guy. So, so anybody else in the cast that uh, I missed or anybody else you wanted to bring up? I mean, there's <laughs> no, there's ones you <laughs> yeah. missed, but they're not. I mean, you got the biker gang. You got. Yeah. The, uh, and I try to. Fi- you got the stoners. Yeah. Like, but none. Yeah. Oh, I forgot yeah. about the stoners. But yeah, they're, they're such small, smaller roles. And then even some of them, I looked at their IMDB page and there was really nothing there to really. You know, uh, no, there's there's nothing there in the movie <laughs> yeah. either. And now these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the '80s: toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the '80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the '80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooged, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gagney with the Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant with the Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture-themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, well, let's talk about iconic scenes, favorite scenes. Uh, does this movie have an iconic scene? The mask. I, yeah. I, I, it's the mask. Yeah. It's the scene where he walks out wearing the mask. Yeah. But I think it's only iconic now. Right, it wasn't iconic like, then. Yeah, it wasn't iconic then. Yeah. But... But definitely, definitely that, because that is the, that is the scene from this movie that I always pinpoint. I always lock right into, I know that scene. I know it's from this movie, you know, so, so yes. So in terms of that, that's iconic Mm -hmm. because it connects. It's that scene is the one scene that I connect with this movie. Yeah. Yeah. 
I agree with that. Yeah, I was going to say, when it comes to, like, favorite scenes or, like, my favorite, like, we come to these movies, my favorite scenes, usually, what, what's your favorite kill? And yeah. and that one is mine. Like, him, the uh, the harpoon gun, which is, I think I read only the second time he uses a weapon, uh, like, that type of weapon. It's usually, like, a knife, machete, uh, but he uses the harpoon yeah, in this one, think. and he uses something else, uh, a crossbow, I think, in 6 or 7, I think is what yeah, I read. Yeah, I was about to say, there's one that I did think he used, like, a bow and arrow Oh, maybe thing. it was a bow and arrow, not a crossbow. <clears throat> uh, I mean, it could be a crossbow, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, I the actual death, though, at that moment, the problem I had with it is the is watching him have to get into position... <laughs> Because he gets behind the pole, yeah, yeah you're yeah. like, you really watch it going, why is he doing that? <laughs> and of course, you know, if you know the the production, you know, it's because he's got to, he's got to get it lined up because mm-hmm. they have a string yes, yes. that is going to guide that arrow Lots of that's coming off of that, mm-hmm. uh, that pole. Yeah. So he has to be, but yeah, just watching him get into that position is so awkward looking. <laughs> um, so again, an iconic scene for me, not my favorite kill though. Yeah. So, so what's your, do you want me yeah, to go yeah, ahead and get into yeah, that? What's yeah. What's your favorite kill? My, no, my favorite kill is, uh, Andy. Um, okay. In his handstand. Yeah. Yeah. That one's pretty, and, and, pretty, and pretty watching rough. the, the molded body of his, mm-hmm. because they, they do it from underneath. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that that one's that's a good one. I just I like that yeah, one. They, it doesn't the editing doesn't really work. Well, they had to trim um, they had to trim that scene down to keep it from getting X rated. Yeah, but I just mean the way that when Jason uh, Jason slashes him, mm-hmm. the way that that fake body collapses, oh, and then the immediate edit into Andy falling. Uh, you know, go, showing back the actor again. The the edit doesn't quite work because gotcha. it's like, no, that's not the way you just fell. And <laughs> right, right. And yeah, it, 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 that doesn't work. But I, I still, that's a uh, that's a gruesome scene. Yeah. That was a really good looking fake body and mm-hmm. um and just again that shot. I, I love the shot from they use the glass floor and shooting it straight up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, great shot. So that that is my favorite kill. Okay. Yeah. A lot like what we talked about. A lot of these are kind of duplicates from previous, the previous two, which as yeah. as we go on, they all become a little repetitive, or you know, or a little bit more. Yeah, but 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 the Terry Savage death is the Kevin Bacon death. Yes. Like oh, and they yeah. It's yeah. the only difference is he uses a knife instead of using a, a arrow. arrow. Right. Um, so, yep. So, and Tom Savini didn't do the, the makeup work, so it doesn't look as good. Yeah. Yeah. So I did have a little blurb about that. So, uh, it's a clear homage to the infamous death of Kevin Bacon in the first film. In fact, they reused Savini's effect from the first film to achieve the shot. So it's basically a recreation of the Bacon death scene with the victim's gender switch and a hammock exchange for a bed. Uh, the fun fact is Debbie dies I'm sorry, before Debbie dies, she's reading Fangoria magazine, and not that the audience can definitely tell, but it's an issue of Fangoria whose cover touts an article about Tom Savini. Yeah. So, thought that was pretty cool. So, they have more of an homage than just, hey, we're just going to redo this this death scene, but 
we see it as yeah. a redo more than an homage. Yeah, and I will say, oh, what was the the other guy's name? Um, Which guy? The last guy that the last guy to die, the the final girl's kind of boyfriend. Uh, uh, what was his name? Was that Rick? Totally for yes, Rick. Yes, Rick. The the head squeeze. Yeah, is, is kind yeah. of a a memorable death true, as well. True. Yeah. Um, you know, albeit the eye pop isn't <laughs> real great, but once again, the strings. Okay, so let's talk about. Like, let's go ahead and talk about our your favorite and least favorite 3D effect. Oh, um, we, let's see. Well, there's strings in just about all of them. <laughs> the yeah. snake. Yeah, the snake is the I think the worst. the worst. Yeah, it is the worst. I think the snake is the worst. Um, I'm also not a fan of the old man with the eyeball. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that one doesn't really work all that much. Um, you know, I can't remember what these actually look like in 3D, but in terms of the ones they were trying to sell, mm-hmm. I think the best one would probably be Jason when he gets the axe in his head, then throwing his arm straight forward. Yeah, that's a good one. That's that. Yeah, that's probably because that's just that doesn't look as much like you're trying for a 3D right, effect, right? Right. Like many of the other ones did. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously the the yo-yo yeah. was just there for the 3D. The pole effect. at the beginning. The, yeah. Yeah, the pole at the beginning. The even the juggling where they sh- they're mm-hmm. shooting it from above, yeah. <laughs> yeah. so that the balls are coming at the screen. Uh, you know, those weren't great, but. Yeah, I, I would say my favorite is Jason str- reaching out uh, to the screen, and then and then yeah, my least would be the snake, because even even without the string, mm-hmm. it doesn't look good. <laughs> no. Even if they were able to get rid of that string, mm-hmm. it does not look good. Yeah, yeah, the eye, the eyeball popping out of the socket that one that one and the and the snake are probably my two least favorite. Um, but yeah, I'm eyeballs better than the, the snake, eyeball though. is a little bit better. You don't the string is not as noticeable in that one. No. Like, like yeah, the the snake one it's pretty pretty evident. Um, but yeah, but I I still like the heart. I mean, the harpoon scene is still cool to me. Like I I, I got a little bit of a jump from that one, even though it wasn't in 3D. Uh, so I thought that was, and I, I kind of thought seeing that on the big screen would probably be pretty cool, even if even if the string is there, um, it was still. I still thought that would that was a pretty cool effect. That would have been what we call the money shot back then. I would think, yeah, more so than some of the other ones, but uh, but definitely good. Any other scenes you want to discuss as we uh, <sighs> move into some of the trivia? I I really don't know. There's not a lot that really because even after just rewatching it, mm-hmm. like there's not a lot that sticks with you. Yeah, yeah. Um, about this. Um. You know, I mean, no, <laughs> really, really no. I will say this: I love that when um, character names are just completely leaving me. The, what's the final girl's name? Chris. Chris. When Chris, you know, all of a sudden has realized something's amiss, mm-hmm. uh, and she goes outside, where all of a sudden there's a, a windstorm out of nowhere. <laughs> um, she, you know, slowly starts approaching the barn. And then she gets startled by one of the biker dudes falling out of a tree. Right, right. And I get it's a dead body. Mm-hmm. But she never had any interaction with that dude. <laughs> right, right. And so why they would choose for him to be the one that sets off the whole, 
you know, mm. everybody's dead. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and then, and then the other biker dude just almost having a heroic moment at the end mm-hmm. when he just shows up, uh, only being, <laughs> you know, now you're gonna get killed. Uh, <laughs> although, let, let's talk about a couple of those deaths. Okay. So his, so clearly, you know, Jason gets to him. Jason you know, beats, beats the snot yeah. out of him. Right. Jason is not going to leave him alive. No, no. And so that, that was very puzzling how he just shows back up. Mm-hmm. No, you know, no issues. No, doesn't look like any injury to him whatsoever. The other one is Shelly mm-hmm. because we see Shelly and then you see Jason with the harpoon gun and the mask. So, you know, he's done something to Shelly. Right. And then for Shelly to show up, what, 10, 15 minutes yeah, later yeah. in the movie with a slit throat. <laughs> like, has Shelly just been wandering around the right. <laughs> the property right. with a slit throat for that long? Mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I, I have had a problem with there's that. A lot, like, there's I, a lot of inconsistencies. <laughs> a lot of inconsistencies. Yeah. Uh, that I think I, I know I may mention in some of the trivia stuff because there's a lot of stuff like um, one question I have is why did one of the characters have to be pregnant? Like what did that service yeah, the story it, it at all? It never served any. Yeah, and then it never went any further other than that opening scene. Right, and then but that makes her the only pregnant victim that Jason's ever killed. And no, not that he would know that because it's never kind of spoken in yeah. his presence or whatever that he would know that, but. Uh, that that is one of those oddities, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, this isn't the. I'm a I'm a huge fan of these movies. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan of Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, yeah, I'm yeah. a huge fan of Friday the Thirteenth. Uh, when I was younger, I would have more said Nightmare on Elm Street. As I've gotten older, Friday the Thirteenth kind of taken over as my top uh, slasher franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this one this one's not the best. Yeah. Uh, and for a lot of those reasons, you know, the deaths are kind of, eh, mm-hmm. you know, not a lot of great memorable deaths. Uh, the, yeah, the story, like, why are they going out there in the first place? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then, you know, and then her story in the middle, Chris's story in the middle, which he's talking about, oh my goodness. you know, the attack or whatever. It's like, was that even, did we, was it even necessary? I mean, I, of course it, yeah. it has somewhat of a payoff quote unquote at the end, when he shows his face to her, just like, Oh, you're the, 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 the face that I saw or whatever. And it was like, we really didn't need that, that element at all. No. Um, yeah, that was unnecessary. And and Um, then of course the ending really doesn't make any sense. Again, another thing stolen. Yeah. It's just, instead of a child, Jason, Mm -hmm. it's, you know, dead mom. And I really Um, felt like they didn't know how to end the movie because it ends like three different, it ends like three different yeah. times, and you're like, okay, which which ending are we going with again? Uh, yeah, she she hangs him, mm-hmm. and then he he comes back from that, stabs him in the head, mm-hmm. uh, and then we think he comes back from that when we see him in the house, looking like a yeah, looking like a teenage sloth, right, right, uh, out of the window. <laughs> And then, and then even comes running out, like looking like a giddy, you know, right, right. he really looks like he's, he's grinning. Yeah, like yeah. he's whatever that yeah. prosthetic was. Yeah. Yeah. It, it didn't really look all that. I mean, it was creepy, mm-hmm. but it didn't, it's not what I would 
think of Jason. Right. Uh, I don't like when they show Jason's face. Um, and because I think that's what makes him scary. And I was going to say, not is, seeing his is face. Because I haven't seen the other ones uh, as much or remember them. Is this the movie that shows his face the most or really shows his face? Uh, as a kind of in the clearest as a human form. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because uh, he would be he would be killed in the next movie, mm-hmm. um, and you do get a I think a quick glimpse of his face in the next movie, um, but he's killed in that one. Uh, I'm, Spoilers. I, part of me wants to say spoiler <laughs> alert for these forty year old movies, right? Um, he he's not actually in the fifth one. Mm-hmm. Um, so contrary to popular belief, there are two Friday the 13th movies in which Jason is not the killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not in the fifth one. Then he comes back from the dead in the sixth one. That's when he actually becomes the zombie monster right, that right. people more know him as. And although you might see his face in some of the other movies, he's now a monster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So th- this is really, I mean, you got a quick glimpse of it in the second movie. Right. But this right. one's where you do get a like clear, more, yeah. like, yeah, more of you actually get to see Jason's face. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this one, I will say talking again about iconic, uh, her getting him in the head with not only did this introduce the hockey mask, mm-hmm. but then her hitting him in the head with the ax and she splits the hockey yeah. mask. Oh, yeah, yeah. That split talking about continuity, mm-hmm. that split would stay on the mask mm-hmm. f- for the rest of the series. <laughs> Which is great yeah, yeah. that they would keep that that continuity. They got something. You know, they got they something right. <laughs> yeah. So they they kept the the split, the little cut slash in the top of the mask yeah. for the whole rest of the the run. We can't get Jason to look the same, but the mask is the same at least. Yeah. Well, no, the mask even kind of yeah, changes well, yeah, yeah. shapes this, a little this bit. Is, well, it has to because the face change the shape. Yeah, of the you got to change the change of the head. Right. The, right. And then by, oh, Jason Goes to Hell, the mask is actually part of his yeah, head. Yeah, I remember. So, yeah. I haven't seen that one, but I've I've heard I've heard about that yeah. one. So. It's like his head's grown around the mask, mm-hmm. and it's weird. But <laughs> that's that's one you'll never talk about, because I do think that, that one's, one's 90s. 90s. Yeah. That yeah. one's 90s. Yeah. All right, well, let's hit some trivia and maybe some other scenes uh, we may, may stir our memory on. So... Uh, I did notice this at the beginning, but I didn't know the significance, so I thought I'd bring this up. The store at the beginning of the movie features a poster for the 1904 short film, The Great Train Robbery, because I noticed the little market had all these train uh, pictures in the yeah. background, uh, yeah. and you see that sign. And on... his fish fish was named Lionel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that film ends with a shot of a bandit firing a gun directly into the camera at point-blank range. It is, it is said that the audiences of 1904, not yet understanding how this new visual medium worked, would duck and scream during the final scene, thinking they were being shot at. The 3D effects, such as those in Friday the 13th Part 3, are meant to have a similar effect on the audience, making the inclusion of the poster at the checkout counter a possible homage to what will be considered a prototype for all 3D movies. So, I like that. that. Was, I didn't see yeah, that, but I like that's, that. I thought that was pretty smart. I'll have to look for that in a decade when I... Watch this movie. Again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did think this. I didn't notice this one either, but I thought it was interesting. When Jason is first seen at the store, he has on the overalls from part two. He walks and stops behind some clothes hanging on the clothesline. Jason's mental development makes him think by hiding his head 
that Edna can't see him even though the, his body is visible. In the next scene showing where Jason was standing, he is gone as are the shirt and the pants that were hanging on the line. The clothes Jason takes from the line are the clothes he wears in part three and subsequently for the rest of his quote-unquote life. Yeah. So. That's cool. I didn't notice that either. Yeah. So, I you know, sometimes I find... I find interesting things. It happens. (laughs) Uh, According to the book Crystal Lake Memories, Chris's past encounter with Jason was originally intended to imply a sexual assault. The series was meant to conclude with this entry, and the writers wanted audiences to be pleased with Jason's demise, reasoning that if he were portrayed as a rapist, they would have no interest in seeing him come back. It was ultimately decided this was too dark a direction to take the character, and those elements were removed from the film. Yeah, it's still it. There's still the fact that she talks about how she she doesn't remember mm-hmm. anything, mm-hmm. and that she came to. Yeah, you know, it's implied well, definitely. It's still there's still some where you can kind of fill in the gap there. Yeah, yourself. But it also goes once again another inconsistency that goes that's not in line with Jason's character either. Oh yeah, that is that that would be a very odd choice for him to make. Another odd choice is, you know, uh, what was is it? Abel is the old guy that's laying in the middle of the road. They almost run over at the beginning. Um, sure, let's go with. Yeah, that. I think it's Abel because I looked because <laughs> I thought it was I thought it was an actor from a TV show that I remember from the eighties. When I looked it up, it wasn't him, so I didn't put him down on my list. But uh, so suppose like he shows the eyeball, he makes a comment like somebody gave it to him. So the mm-hmm. the thought would be that Jason gave him this eyeball from a previous kill. Which once again goes against what Jason would do. Why would he give? First, first of all, why would he meet someone he doesn't kill, and then yeah. give them the eyeball that's when he has killed? So you know, one of the other yeah. inconsistencies. Now they're still building the mythos at this point. Yeah. So yeah. you can yeah. you can bend a little bit to that. Yeah. So two alternate endings were shot. One has Chris doing the same thing to kill Jason, except Ali barely survives. He dies in the theatrical ending, and both of them escape. With Jason walking away, or the viewer assumes so, because when the police arrive, his body is not there. The other ending had Chris kill Jason, then go out in the canoe and fall asleep. In her dream, Jason decapitates her with a machete. I would have rather that than the Mrs. Voorhees coming out of the... <laughs> yeah, the Mrs. Voorhees thing is so... It does, and once again, inconsistency. Why would she be the one... How did, number one, how did she get in the lake? She didn't and how did she lake. get her head back attached to her body? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But then why would she attack her when they've had yeah. no kind of no kind of connection whatsoever? Yeah. So Well because because she killed her her little son, her little Jason. <laughs> right. The ending bothers me more than the rest of the movie. Yeah. I also don't like that you see Jason's body laying there. Like I do wish yeah, that Jason's yeah. body wasn't there. Uh. And that was the funny thing because watching it this time. Like when they when they did that slow pan to the body, I'm like, this isn't the end because in my mind the ending was maybe the Mandela effect. My the ending that I thought it was it would go back to the barn and his body was gone. Yeah. And so uh, maybe maybe some TV version I saw as a kid had had one of the alternate endings instead, and maybe I saw that Could at some be. point, or or time travel is real and stuff has been <laughs> changed, or living in the Matrix. Uh, so any other scenes or. No trivia stuff we want to cover. Yeah, I think we, I think we, we covered, covered it pretty it well. Pretty well. Uh, I, right. I mean, you want a little bit of trivia? I did. Um, you know, doing a little math, 
there is a death on average every eight minutes. <laughs> well, it, ring, it it cranks up definitely more. Yeah, it cranks up, but I just mean if you yeah yeah you yeah, take yeah. the running time, take the number of deaths, you get mm-hmm. you get a, a death. I think it's every seven point nine two minutes. Okay. Yeah. That there's your math math knowledge there. Thank you, uh, the math teacher and actor, Laramie Wells. You are welcome. <laughs> and podcaster. He wears multiple hats, folks. Uh, all right, so let's talk about box office and critical reception. The film was intended to end the series as a trilogy. However, <laughs> however, 10 movies later. Right. They were like, why would we not make more money? Uh, the film was theatrically released on August 13th, which was a Friday, 1982. Grossing $36.7 million at the U.S. box office and a budget of $2.2 million because they didn't want to fly out the, uh, the the last Jason War. He's got to save that money. Uh, it was the first film to remove E.T. the Extraterrestrial from the number one box office spot and became the second highest grossing horror film of 1982 behind Poltergeist. There you go. Yeah. It has the third most attendance of the Friday the 13th franchise with approximately 11 million tickets sold, and it was the first ever 3D film to receive a wide domestic release opening in 1,079 screens. Of those screens, only 813 were 3D capable, while the remainder consisted of drive-in theaters which were unable to accommodate the format. In order to allow non-3D capable theaters to screen the film, Paramount completed a seven-week-long conversion process that cost the studio $2 million. Yeah. You know, that was something we didn't talk about. That was actually way back at the beginning of the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, if everybody remembers, I said there was something <laughs> else I wanted to talk about with the 3D. Oh, yes. Uh, and you just reminded me. Good. The other issue with this movie is because of the 3D, everything had to be brighter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so this is a... Even even the night scenes mm-hmm. are bright yeah. because that was the only way to make the 3d work was for it to be uh very very bright and there's just something about jason killing people in and daylight <laughs> and it doesn't have the same effect. bright lit yeah and bright lit areas and right and that was the other thing about the ending is that it's jason it's daylight yeah he's chasing her in the, like the next morning he's, kind of a thing yeah which would be Sunday the the 15th. 15th, there you go. Yeah, yeah that would be Sunday the 15th. So this movie does not take place Friday the 13th. Just, again, want to mm-hmm. point that out. <laughs> I didn't have that in my notes, but I did read that, so I'm glad you you brought it up. So yeah. Oh, another piece of trivia. Yes. Actually, this just popped into my head, too. The news reporter yes. that the couple is watching at the beginning yes. is the director. It's the director. Yep. Steve Miner. Yeah. Yep. His, little, his little cameo. Very good. And he's... Telling the story of the second movie. <laughs> right. All right, so uh, critical reception, Rotten Tomatoes. Ooh, boy, a 7% on the Ooh. tomato meter Ooh. and a 42% audience score. I mean, we Ooh. knew critics weren't going to like this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, IMDb, it's a 6.6 out of 10 with a 30 on Metacritic, which is Ooh. actually kind of high for Metacritic, I think. I mean, for, you know, from 7% to a 30. I mean, it's pretty yeah. average, but... Um, I don't have much to debate on that. It's not a fantastic movie. Yeah, but it's not that bad. I, I yeah, seven yeah. is bad. I mean, seven is. I, I don't think I fin most. Yeah, seven's a, bad. A seven, I wouldn't have finished it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I have, yeah. And I have. There's been movies I have not finished. Uh, so, 
Yeah. Yeah. But no, but but it's definitely if you were to give a percentage out of a hundred, I'm good with the sixties. Yeah, I was gonna say it's it's definitely in the sixes sixties for me too. Yeah, given in the sixties there, yeah, seven percent. Good grief! But you have to give it credit. It's it's the introduction of the mask, which became yes. iconic. Yes. It it turned, it changed the franchise to become more of a. I mean, it it moved it to iconic status yeah. uh, at this point because, as I said in the in the intro. Friday the 13th was a direct cash grab ripoff of Halloween. And the second one was just a second money mm-hmm. grab to duplicate that again. So yeah. to do th- this one kind of took it in a little bit different direction. Uh, but the hockey mask definitely gave Jason his I- quote unquote identity or at least a visual identity that, you know, you got uh, yeah, Michael which- Myers. Michael Myers had the ma- had the yeah. the. Shatner mask. Mm. You had Freddy with the the gloves, which hadn't happened yet. Which hadn't happened yet. That would yet. still True. be another couple of years. Yeah, yeah. But you know, those you, when you think of the three yeah. from the eighties, those are the three that you're going to remember. And of course, which was funny when I've when I've done my advertising for the previous Friday the Thirteenth movies, I can't really use the Jason you know gifts yeah, and you, you know yeah. clip art thing because they all have the the mask. So now <laughs> on this one, I can finally there you use. Go. I can finally, finally use those. got a mask. Right, right. So, love the mask. All right. Well, this has been a fun one for sure. Always glad to have you, Laramie. So, what's going on with moving panels that you want to tell everybody about? Uh, I we're we're hitting the ground, uh, going with uh, some kind of lesser known as comics. Tim is actually uh, we we've already recorded, and we're going to release a. Uh, episode on two guns mm-hmm. that was a which fun one a lot of people don't realize is a comic book mm-hmm. uh i've got james brooks from the uh interview with a horror version podcast uh he's he joined me to talk about <laughs> the one of the closest things i could get to to a horror movie um and that was the new mutants <laughs> uh, so yeah, so if you Still like comics based, right? Yeah, if if you like bad horror movies, um, <laughs> give that one a listen. And then of course we're headed into June, where I like to do a bunch of anniversary stuff, and so mm-hmm. we'll be looking mm-hmm. at uh, some of the the comic movies that are hitting a special anniversary at that time. Um, but check that out, um, and check me out on TikTok. I'm trying to get mm-hmm. that going. Uh, going to see Doctor Strange. And uh, I'll post a, a quick review of that after I walk out of that theater. <laughs> yeah, that will. By the time this drops, that will be out already. But I'm sure that'll be on a lot of people's uh, radar still. So definitely check oh, it out. Yeah. yeah, don't forget to check me out on TikTok as well. I'm continuing my series on forgotten '80s flicks, which has been kind of fun. It's been fun to find these old trailers of movies that some that I remember from my childhood and some that uh, that people are suggesting. So if you have one you want to suggest. Please let me know, and I'll tag you in the replies. Uh, one, which I was gonna t- this, I, I'll talk about it real quickly. But I had never seen the hidden. Were you aware of the hidden? I am not aware of the. So hidden. this one got so much love on TikTok. One one person recommended it. I had really never heard of it. I I remember the poster once I saw it, but it's Kyle MacLachlan from uh, Twin Peaks uh, was one of the actors. But it's kind of like a. Uh, it's very sci-fi. Um, not quite They Live, but definitely has some of They Live kind of vibes where there's this aliens okay. that taken over people's bodies and doing all these crimes and stuff. So uh, I actually went ahead and rented it 
you know, on Amazon and watched it. It's actually a pretty good, pretty decent sci-fi horror flick. So uh, definitely check it out if you haven't seen it. But a lot of love on TikTok on that. So I'm discovering movies that I didn't even know existed in this uh, yeah. little series. So that's been fun. Isn't that always fun, yeah, though? Yeah, yeah. It's one of the reasons we do what yeah. we do is, you know, movie buffs, mm-hmm. you know, finding out about movies we didn't know existed or... Or forgot about. Other properties. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Definitely even the forgot about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I've i done a similar series on TikTok yeah. where I've shown intros to old um, cartoons and television shows that are based off of, like, superhero properties. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, some of those to either find out ones, oh, I didn't realize this exists, or, oh, I totally forgot oh, about yeah. that one. yeah. Those have been really good, and yeah. that, and it's so funny because a lot of those TV intros can stir up so much nostalgia. I mean, just hits yeah. all those nostalgia. Like, and, and I know this is one of the first ones you did because it's one of the most popular ones. But the Wonder Woman intro. I mean, I remember that. I mean, I was little when that would come. Those cartoons. I mean, those uh, reruns would come on TV. But there's something about that music and that intro that just it just kicks off all this nostalgic, you know, vibes yeah. off of me. So. Uh, of course, greatest American hero still my my top pick for the greatest. It's the greatest, greatest, greatest theme, theme song. song. Ever. Uh, maybe maybe greatest theme song ever. Definitely greatest uh, superhero or comic book based. Even though it, it's the greatest theme song <laughs> ever. <laughs> yeah, that one comes up on these uh, in the Facebook groups a lot, and it's always Cheers, Golden Girls, Greatest American Hero. Uh, those those usually take the top spots, but yeah. No, those those are good, but greatest I yeah. Believe it or not, is the greatest <laughs> theme song ever. I used to have that on a forty-five. I bought it from I. I traded it. Back when we traded forty-five records. Uh, I traded that with a, a friend of mine to get it, and it was a little scratched up, and I was kind of mad about it. But I used to listen to it all the time. Tell us more about your music, Grandpa. <laughs> You're right, right. All right, folks, we're gonna wrap this one up. Thank you, Larry, so much for being a part of this episode. It's been a blast as always. And uh, we've got more fun stuff coming up uh, in a few weeks with Back to the Future, so stay tuned for that. Exciting. Yep. All right. I'm Tim Williams for 80s Fig Flashback. I'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Hey, and while you're there, be sure to check out the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.